my experiences with it is they can send it at you if they want you out of an area um you know they can give you anything to a creepy crawly feel you know how many people say well we got the feeling we were being watched how many you know how many times you've been in the woods you guys we can wander our way over you know because this is wandering ways what's bigfoot possibility Look at that. Another awesome opening to another awesome day. How's it going, my guy? Oh, perfect and getting better, my man. How are you? You know, I'm great. I'm fantastic. There's snow on the ground out here in Montana. I was able to go out to Red Lodge and just be in it for a couple hours and experience it and just feel that peaceful nature that the woods bring us. That's good. It's... um been wet and windy here um kind of classic coastal weather uh super windy um actually spent the weekend down farther south from me i went into california and on my way up because i had to i swung through humboldt looked at my big beautiful redwood trees <laughs> i love it i you know i there's something about the redwoods. I don't know if it's that mystical feeling they give you um, or really what it is, but you know, every time I'm out in Oregon, I get that itch because I'm like, it's not that far. Yeah. It's a good little John down there, but it's a, it's a worth it, John. Yeah. I mean, it's work to get in and out of there, um, you know, but these trees are so cool. You know, <laughs> I want to try and get back any time I can to go scamper around in the forest so <laughs> well you know I uh I'm very curious because I, I think the sequoia trees grow a little bit bigger than uh, uh, larger you know but not taller well bigger in that sense and then they also I feel like they can survive the snow climates a lot better just because of where they're at in California, as opposed to the redwoods, where the redwoods really thrive off that coastal air. Oh yeah, no, totally. I mean, there's pictures of giant sequoias in snow. Okay, so take that. Now take the cabin up in Sealy. I just let's next time we're down there, let's buy the seedlings <laughs> that they sell, like fifteen of them, and just build our wall of sequoias up there. And in a hundred years, we'll be like, wow, there they are. Oh, <laughs> move them up to Vasili, Montana. Just make our own little sequoia grove. <laughs> right? Hey, I'm in for it, you know. You know, the National Forest probably be on our ass about it, but. Yeah. You'll know wandering ways heard it first. <laughs> <laughs> hundred years from now. <laughs> but, you know, I think it, it brings up something cool. I, I got a question to ask you while you're down there. Did you any... Did you see any stick structures while you're in Humboldt? No, uh, they. But Humboldt is known for stick structures. Um, you know, first, you know, we see them ton on the beach, see them ton in the woods, you see them in the trees, you see them everywhere, from hippies building them to the homeless building them to just college kids building them. And I mean, even Bigfoot built stick structures. You so. know, and today we interview an actual Bigfoot researcher, um, which is exciting. He talks about the stick structures a little bit. He's got a book on the stick structures. So definitely check that out on I Know Squatch um, because it is for sale. You can get that. Um, what I find interesting is there's a tree and he talks about this tree but I have a picture of you and Tyler playing on a tree together. And it totally makes me think of what he talks about later in the episode, but I'm not going to give that away now because you guys have to listen. Our wanderers have to wander through the podcast to, to the part of where this story's at. If they want to hear what goes on. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. We have something super awesome today. Uh, we got an interview with an actual Bigfoot researcher, like Zach said, uh, he has written books on stick structures built by Bigfoot himself. Uh, I believe the book is titled like Bigfoot Structures. Let me just uh, double check that for you guys real quick. 
Um, but he yeah, has no. gone down on numerous Bigfoot expeditions. Um, I mean, this guy, he's got some cool stories and we go into it today. So the book, check them out. Check out the book, The Field Guide to Bigfoot Stick Structures. It's going to be on I Know Squatch. So make sure to check out I Know Squatch on Etsy, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, the Etsy, they got a ton of Bigfoot apparel, stickers. That's where you're going to find the book. Um, yeah, I got an I Know Squatch sticker on the Ruguru, everybody. So if you're following there, you'll see it. Um, it is awesome. They have great Bigfoot products and Bigfoot knowledge for that matter. And that's why I am super excited to share with you our guest today because he is a Bigfoot genius. He thinks logically when it comes to Bigfoot. Um, he doesn't rush to a conclusion. Like a lot of people, you know, they see that deer hop offense and they say, oh, that was Bigfoot. You know, he has different classifications. Um, and he, you know, explains that very well to us today. And I'm very excited to share that with you guys because let's be real, not all of you are out in the woods right now and you can't tell me what's going on in the woods because you're not there. <laughs> yes, no, 100%. So we got Mr. Rick Rellis on. Uh, he is, him in the I Know Squatch game is gonna be at a Bigfoot convention at the end of January. So roughly, I believe a week and a half from now, from when this episode what? is airing, uh, go down, check out their stuff. They're going to be vendors at it. Uh, he does speak at conferences. We get into that kind of a little bit. Um, but without further ado, I mean, Zach, you got anything or can we just jump into this? You know, let's jump in like it's a big pool and make a big splash because Bigfoot. <laughs> yes, let's get without further ado, the Bigfoot researcher himself, Rick Rellis. So anyways, welcome. Today we have a fantastic guest on the podcast today, Mr. Rick Rills. Am I saying the last name right? Rellis. Rellis. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, we got Rick Rellis with us. He is kind of the expert on Bigfoot, um, it seems like. So just to kind of get started, if you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, Rick, get it going. Yeah, I am. Um... I've been researching, uh, actively researching the Bigfoot phenomena for over 10 years. Um, I got into it because I had a sighting and I got interested. And uh, instead of just, you know, I, I began reading on it and um, decided to pursue field research. And I've been actively you know, in the field ever since. Um, I'm a BFRO investigator and have investigated, you know, interacting, talking with witnesses in three different states now. Uh, started in Wisconsin, then in Tennessee, and now I live in Western North Carolina. And I still investigate uh, sightings that people have or experiences they have. So that provides a lot of input. But then myself, I get out and co-host and help run expeditions for the BFRO actively every year. And um, between private expeditions and uh, ones that they host, etc., I've been out in the field doing this from British Columbia to Florida over the past 10 years. I probably get out in about six to eight expeditions a year. Um, and so I have, you know, a lot of different experiences with these things and I stay active with it. Um, I'm, you know, I like to think I'm pretty well read. I've spent a lot of time researching this uh, online and in books, etc. And I'm also a, um, a member of, I know Squatch, we, we sell some merchandise as one of our hats, uh, but we sell uh, shirts and hats and things like that on an Etsy site and uh, on Instagram. And we go to a lot of Bigfoot conferences and shows probably six to eight a year. I speak at a lot of them. I have a book I published uh, three editions on, on uh, stick structures in the woods. And uh, so I speak at a lot of these conferences and we sell merchandise at them. And we'll be uh, January 31st, we'll be in Florida. I think it's the first Florida Bigfoot conference that's coming up in uh, about a month and a half, we'll be at that. So um, I'm, I'm very active with the phenomenon, very, uh, still very, very interested. That's awesome. Uh, I kind of want to just jump in to your first Bigfoot sighting. I mean, our viewers, we talk about Bigfoot uh, quite a bit. Um, 
they've heard my personal story. I've actually seen Bigfoot, which is why I'm extra excited for today. Um, so I, I, I kind of want to hear yours and then, you know, I'd love to share mine with yours with you as well. Cause you know, I, I had, I did turn it in to like some Bigfoot guys, but you know, it's, it's been shoot, probably it's been over 10 years since I okay. saw him. Mm. Well, good. For, oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm interested in comparing observations with you about that. Um, so the BFRO breaks down sightings in the class A, class B and class C, uh, you know, working backwards a class C sighting means, you know, maybe someone, um, you know, heard a noise that could be associated with something they can't identify, or maybe even saw a footprint or a story was passed on. A class B sighting means um, you saw something that, you know, could be uh, descriptively, you could say may maybe is a Bigfoot, but still maybe could have been a bear or, you know, a human, that sort of thing. But a class I, A sighting means indistinguishable. You know that is, uh, without a doubt, a Bigfoot. Uh, you can distinguish it, uh, the characteristics of it. Uh, you may have heard it, smelled it, but you've seen it. So multiple senses, recognition, and uh, I've had three of those. I've had multiple B type of events and C also, but I've had three A's where I could say, I, you know, those were sightings, I knew what it was. Um, I'd like to, you know, I think I'll talk a little bit about the last, the third one I had, but the first one I had, I wasn't anticipating. I was not in the research mode. I was uh, driving across a rural part of uh, northeastern Wisconsin with an associate, and it was in uh, 2010, November, end of the year, and we saw something cross two oncoming lanes of traffic on the left, the grass median, and then go across two in front of us and hurdle a uh, chain link fence, just like an Olympic hurdler. And it was a uh, very, you know, huge. Um, we could see the bipedal movement. Certainly didn't know what we were looking at at the time. Uh, and it was kind of a reddish brown color, but huge. I went back and measured the height of that fence and it was five and a half feet high. Um, but we went into disbelief uh, at the business associate I was with and started to go into denial. We, you know, I. A couple of weeks later, said, you know, it's possible we may have seen something that was bipedal. He, you know, he was thinking it was an elk. We have no elk in that part of Wisconsin. Um, but I continued the research myself. He dismissed it, and I found similar uh, descriptives and sightings similar to that in the area north of there. So that kind of got me on my. I knew what that was. I mean, I saw the arm and leg movements, the arms pumping. I saw it go over that, as I said, in a hurdler type motion. I knew that was not a bear. It was not an elk. Burnt four legs. And uh, we saw across the road, not that far in front of us, you know, a couple hundred yards. So that got me interested. The second sighting I had was in the uh, northwestern part of uh, Colorado in uh, August of 2016 on a BFRO expedition. I was with uh, one of five people in a canyon, and uh, two of us saw it. Um, it stepped out on the path behind us. We were looking forward on the path. It stepped out behind us, later measured the distance to be about 90 feet. And that was a, uh, I, we believe a juvenile because uh, we both thought it was about six and a half foot tall, uh, black, very, could see, could see the facial features, could see the, um, the lengths and the, you know, of the arms and the legs and the differences in that, watched it make a three-step uh, exit from where it was on the path. When we saw it, it was moving back and forth from side to side, uh, sort of like a second baseman or a shortstop, you know, preparing, you know, for a hitter. And, uh, we saw it, we saw two of us both saw it run off. Uh, the other person was the sheriff. Uh, great, really great uh, recall of the description of it. We uh, jotted it all down, documented it. That was a great sighting too for me, but uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the third one. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. Which, uh, I, mean, I mean, the first two, again, fit the class A description because I knew entirely what it was. Um, the third one I was on an uh, expedition, not a BFRO expedition. I'm part of a group called East Coast Expeditions. Uh, and there were five of us in an area in the Western Appalachians, uh, really in the Western part of Virginia, not West Virginia, but West, Western part of Virginia um, and in that area. And uh, we had split into different groups each of the nights we were out, groups of five uh, covering an area around a lake. And uh, we caught up with a group on, a, on the first night, Thursday night, the five guys that were on a trail that was about 30 yards above uh, the lake, lake that we were at, all forested area, and this trail went around a mountain on a, in a circular manner. And they came back from being in there, and I had seen an orb 
they observe for 28 seconds, move along the hillside above the trail. Uh, and they, you know, all of them saw it and didn't know what it was, had heard other things, some knocks and that sort of thing uh, that evening. And so we agreed to put another group in there that, the following night, which is typical on an expedition. If you do daytime or nighttime scouting, uh, best, best way to approach the night hikes you know, is get a group back into there if you think there's activity because Bigfoot, typically a resident in an area, uh, will frequent an area with, uh, you know, repetition at night, go back to an area they were the night before. Uh, you know, it's great to, if you're out, you know, looking for them in a research area, areas that can come down to a lake, uh, particularly in the south where you have a lot of mountain laurel, they can come down through that um, with their kids. And there's never one of them, they're always in groups, but, you know, they'll they can have access to the water at night. Uh, that's the type of thing you want. You always want to give them the high ground above you. If you can give them an area to sight you or to see you above, that's always very good too. Um, but we went, we decided to get five back into that area the next night. And we walked along this path um, just after dark, but I still remember it was full moon, we could see great. Um, we did an inchworm technique. And uh, so uh, if you've watched Finding Bigfoot, they'll do that on that show sometimes, but it does work. Uh, split your group of five or six people uh, up as you walk along, especially if you think you're being paralleled or they're around you or watching you. And in this case, we could. We had activity as we were proceeding on this trail and they were above us. Uh, they'd move when we moved. Uh, so if you split, when you inchworm and you break into groups, you move as like this, you know, slowly along. So the head of the inchworm moves and the, maybe the middle, then the end. Uh, you can have one person, three in the middle, one at the end, or split into two, two, and two. Um, put distances of 50 or 100 yards between us to so catch up, have the middle group go past the head. Uh, that works effectively because if they're observing you, um, kind of you're not acting like a hiker or a hunter it's not predictable they can't figure out you know why you're moving and stopping and why the middle group went past the first and they tend to spread out and make a lot of panicky noises whistles whoops uh they get jumpy and that sort of thing was happening with us that night so the group of five of us moved along this trail where the group the night before had seen the orb we did not see an orb but um we walked along and had them parallel, paralleling us for a while. We had a parabolic out. I was using a parabolic uh, microphone with headphones so I could listen. And I was uh, scanning the ravines above us. Um, and this, again, they stayed above us as we were going. We probably went, oh, half a mile or so. And you know, we had regular activity where they were above us. Um, the middle of our inchworm, we caught up to the head at one point. And we saw two behind us about 100 yards, but we knew there was activity above us. And then uh, the woman who was, who was with uh, me and the group ahead, we were looking, I had been scanning the ravine above me. And she said, oh my God, we had all this recorded, which is great because you go back and listen to those that see it. And it, it's fascinating because it really reinforces your descriptions and things you can revisit it really well. We sketched what we saw afterwards too, which is another best practice. But uh, uh, you know, we had heard knocks, whoops above us, um, paralleling us, but she saw this black figure come right down the ravine above us. Um, you know, I would say 150 feet above us. And it came down the tree line above us on a perpendicular manner, stopped at a tree uh, 100, 150 feet above, stopped. And she saw it coming down and said, did you see that? And two of us that had just caught up looked. I had just put my parabolic down and I saw it. And it crossed the ravine above us. Um, went a tree hop from one side of the ravine to the other, open in the middle of the ravine, and uh, two more of us saw that. So three of us witnessed this at the same time. Um, description, black, 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 black face, black features, muscular, like a muscular, like a, you know, a football player running back, ran like a football player, uh, pumped its arms. We could see the arms moving from side to side as it went. Uh, see the see the activation of the leg muscles. Uh, we went back and put the tallest member of our group up in that ravine the next day to give us a, a judgment on height, and we believe it was uh, close to nine feet tall. Oh, yeah. um, it went from left to right across till it got to a tree on the other side. And I mean, we, we were able to see this go across for several seconds. Two things that really struck me about this and hung with me the next day uh, was one, I was shocked at how powerful it was and how big it was but then uh how fast how anything that you know that big could be that fast was shocking to me um you know these things move like you know like they're gliding 
you know, others that have seen these things move in the woods, you know, the description of the mobility, the movement, and what we saw that evening uh, was literally silky smooth as it moved, uh, you know, very, very fast as it moved, not making a lot of noise, but big, powerful, and fast moving. Um, you know, if we think, you know, as naive as we are, you know, or hunters are, if we ever think we're going to ever catch one of these things or sneak up on one of these things or escape one of these things, we're crazy because, you know, they got abilities beyond anything that we can comprehend in terms of physicality. They have non-physical abilities too, and I'm okay to talk about that. But um, this is fascinating because as it went across, you know, we could clearly see what it was. Um, clearly saw no, the features, no neck, you know, dark face, black face, couldn't see white in the eyes. Um, you know, saw the head from looking at it straight on where it was at the tree on our left as it turned and ran across. Um, you could see, you see the, saw the arms move, the legs pump, legs move, saw the muscles, as I said, activate. Fascinating movement. I mean, I keep, the description I've always used is like a running back hitting a hole in a football game. That's how this thing moved. And, uh, you know, it really moved back. Now, there's a little more to it. And we had three of us that saw this of the five, the one that caught up. Uh, actually, the two that caught up was did not see it. They heard what we were seeing. Uh, we stopped on the trail, and you know we were going to advance and continue along the trail. And uh, you know you may have heard or had discussions with other witnesses about zapping or an uncomfortable feeling you can get from these things. Um, but I got that. Um, I got it to the point where I didn't want to move, uh, didn't want to go any further, and so uh, I tried to push through it. Um, a couple of, I said, I'll stop. And I stopped with two of the members of the group and uh, three tried to advance and go further. And, uh, my friend Lori was in the group was ahead of us. She's a ex, you know, very, uh, very polished expert, big, big Bigfoot researcher. And she got hundred yards ahead and stopped, came back and said, she heard in her head repeatedly stop. Don't go any further. Please go back. Please go back over and over. Please leave. Please go back. So, so she, uh, she came back. To our, she came back to our group, and uh, we methodically, you know, left that area and uh, traversed the half mile or so back to uh, you know where our vehicles were parked. The trail had to get out of there. Um, it took 20 minutes or so for the negativity and the heaviness that I had that I was feeling, uh, you know, on my shoulders and above. Literally felt like something was pushing down heavily on. Um, but it took a good 20 minutes for that to wear off. Um, I've been is through that, that like, uh, you're afraid for like you're in danger for your life, or maybe you're going to get harmed kind of feeling, or is it just like a general, something's not right feeling? Um, it's beyond the, just something's not right. It's into the, you know, fight or flight mode. It's, um, it's purposeful. You know, I believe when they do that, you know, we, a lot of us that are around us, we talk about, um, infrasound or that feeling you know of infrasound where it can be uh you know a heaviness uh generated by a low frequency you know modulation hum type of thing uh yeah it could be it could be I, i'm not sure what does it but you get a you can get variations of it. it can be very acute where you can feel it very heavy you know i've heard people talk about it on their head or it makes people feel dizzy and nauseous i've seen that um i had it i've had it where it felt like you know, electricity going right through my body um, when I've been around these things. But they can generate and they can send it at you if they want to. And in this case, I believe that large alpha male, which is what we believe what, was what we saw, I believe that generated that at me. I was the tallest member of the group, probably the alpha in the group, and uh, fired it at me and kind of immobilized me. It did. It worked. But it was a very, very heavy, you know, like I couldn't carry it further. We didn't want to go any further. Heaviness feeling for me. And, uh, uh, Lori in our group, she didn't get that zap feeling, but she got the, I hate to use the term because, you know, we woo and all that, but she got a, she heard voices in her head saying, you know, turn, leave, go back, uh, please go back over and over. So, um, you know, a few different things going on there, uh, some very physical and identifiable. We know what, I gave you a description of what it was, the three of us yeah. all matched that. We had a recording about what we saw, we talked about it. And then we had a group of the night before that saw an orb in that area. I certainly had the zap feeling. She got a voice in her head. So those are things that, you know, hard to reconcile with the scientific method and say, this is, we know what that is. So they can like send that energy, that like that zap energy to like you guys. Um, my experiences with it is they can send it at you. If they want you out of an area, 
Um, you know, they can give you anything to the creepy crawly feel. You know, how many people say, well, we got the feeling we were being watched. How many, you know, how many times you've been in the woods? You guys, you know, yeah. spend time in the woods. Uh, you know, we had a feeling we were being watched. We uh, had a feeling something wanted us out of there. Hunters relate that. I talked to a lot of witnesses that have you know, been in a situation like this in the wood hunters. They said, you know, something overcame me. All of a sudden, I knew I had to get out of there. And I, I've hunted in that area for years, but I never felt that. But now I knew I, I'm never going back. You know, it can be that kind of, you know, getting the creeps to yeah. to being physically ill. Interesting. Yeah, I had a question about, so I guess my thing is like, I hear, I've never seen a Bigfoot in, in my person. I've uh, I've heard countless stories from people, um, you know, especially in the Pacific Northwest area, Mark being one of those. And I trust Mark. I trust Mark with my life, all that. So I, I trust his story is true. Um, but I wasn't there with him. And, and, and to have people with you experiencing these things with you, that to me just solidifies the belief, the story, all of that. And, and I guess what's that feeling like? Cause it sounds like all three of your encounters, you've had people there yep. and to have that experience with you. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, yes, it is. You know, you sound like my wife, my wife will say to me, uh, when I go and I can get her to go out during the day. She never, she doesn't want to do any of the nighttime stuff, but she'll <laughs> always say to me, you know, the, the, the three class A's you talk about, you had witnesses with you. That's really important. Uh, it is, it is for me. Um, you know, I'm not dismissing other encounters. You know, I've seen things in the woods, a shadow movement or a dark shadow go by or something move behind a tree line. I, uh, I saw one belly crawl across the a road. Um, you know, I, you know, again, having someone there to cement that, to your point, it, you know, it's verifiable. You, you, we all sit down, best practice, and, and talk about it, jot the notes down. We had a recorder in the case I just gave to you, so we're all able to listen to what we said that night afterwards. Once you get through all the swearing and, you know, the explanation, <laughs> it's fascinating. But, uh, you know, that it does solidify, and you can all go back to it later and say, well, here's what we saw here, you know, we're saying it. Um, I, you know, I'd say to anybody out there, anybody that's interested in this, um, I've been on expeditions with someone that has seen one. I, the best coaching I could give on that sort of thing is as soon as you have a sighting, the best thing you can do is start writing things down uh, and then do the whole, you know, uh, you know, just the facts, the old dragnet thing, you know, just go through the facts. What did you see? How big was it? What was the movement? Right to left, left to right. Describe it. How tall? Uh, how wide? Uh, how many pounds, color, what shade, you know, go through all the descriptors you can and jot them down because, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, even if you have witnesses, even for somebody like me who's been around, if I saw one, you know, tomorrow, you know, it still shocks you a bit. It's not an everyday occurrence and it's hard to believe what you're seeing. So your best practice is to get the notes down as soon as you can. Yeah. You know, listening to you describe like the class A, class B, I would probably classify my sighting in a class b mainly because mm -hmm. i didn't have anybody there like with me that saw it also there were people there but we were bow hunting and so we're really spread out and i yeah. looked over across this clear cut and at first i thought it was just a person or i also thought it was a bear because it was up on its two legs but it was walking way too like classic human like bipedal very kind of like a smooth walking gate it mm -hmm. went up this like uh, logging road and i didn't even think bigfoot kind of idea until it walked by some logging equipment like a big cat and okay. um, which was like probably close to 10 feet tall and it was as tall as it that's mm -hmm. that was the moment i went like oh wait that's not a hunter <laughs> <laughs> and then he ended up turning around going down and then going farther up this uh, like logging the logging roads and mm -hmm. so we were at dawn and we you know we had to hike three four miles up this logging road and so there's only one parking lot to this like road so when we went down that night you know we were the only car so mm -hmm. either some the way i looked at it i was like either somebody decided to go live up in these woods for my three, four miles up and just camp out there for ever, or it was a Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, if I was investigating and if you had filed this report, say with the BFRO and I came out to meet with you, I'd say, uh, you know, I'd ask you to describe the movement as much detail as you can. And you started to, um, what made you think that, um, it wasn't human in its movement. What, what, what about its movement was new to you? Well, I first, my first thought was bear because it was mm -hmm. up and it was just like big and kind of like a darker brown color. And so I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's a bear cross and it's like on its two legs. You never really see that. Right. Um, but also we only have black bear on the Pacific coast of Oregon. So that's sure. a little odd, but as soon as it started walking i mean it walked i mean very very human like it was toe or foot to foot kind of you know that alternating mm -hmm. hand foot pattern and you know i was like bears can't walk like that on two legs mm -hmm. okay not not that smooth right and you said alternating hand foot type pattern so the hands and arms moved in accordance with the leg movement yeah 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 okay see now that's Again, now that so you're taking the bear out of the equation here, which is great. So now uh, you're you're getting into well, is it a human? Um, okay, what color was described? The colors of what you saw described the appearance of the surface of it. Did you see hair? Was there not hair? What did you see? Well, I I was kind of playing in the fact it could be another hunter just wearing a bunch of camo. Sure. So yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was going to be something like that. I didn't start thinking it was not human until it walked by that logging equipment and I could put like, all right, unless we got like Yao Ming or someone out here in the <laughs> woods, you know, this isn't a normal person. <laughs> yeah. See, you know, uh, you've got a couple of good things here. First of all, yeah, you've got, you, under, you, you observed it for enough time to see the movement, which is good. It's not just a dark flash between two trees and you, you know, you saw the movement. Um, you got scale. I mean, you got logging equipment there for scale. So in your estimation, how tall was it? I'd probably say it was close to 10 feet. See? Okay, so, you know, and you're pretty sure you told me it wasn't a bear, you know, um, it stayed on its two feet and, you know, walked with an alternating arm, hand, and leg type movement. Could be as much as 10 feet tall relative to the equipment there yeah. that you had. And the color again was? It, I'd say like a darker brown um i'd say darker brown maybe leaning more on the black side of it but you know it could it looks like if a hunter was wearing full camo type deal sure okay so you well and you got a 10-foot hunter wearing a dark brown camo uh you know so you know again it, some of the things as you get into it you know um it sounds you know it sounds believable from what i'm hearing i mean what you know Again, the height is a bit is a big thing with what you just had. The movement is a big thing that takes it away from the bear realm. And then, uh, did it? Were you able to see facial features? Did it turn and look at you? And how far away was it? Uh, I wasn't able to see like any facial features or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, farther. I'd probably say it was close to 100, 150 yards from me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, the big things for me were the um was the logging equipment and the sheer how it was like sure. identical size wise <laughs> let's well it's wonderful reference that you have that in there you know people say when you go in a distance 100 150 i'm a golfer so it always helps me you know yeah. 100 yards for me 100 yards for me is a, you know i'm hitting a gap wedge that's not far i can see the pin i can see the hole you know it's not that far away you know if it's 150 you know it's a short par three you know where the pin is if you're hitting it you know so that's not that far for you to make. You know, someone sees something a quarter mile off. I once had binoculars on. It was in an uh, aviary uh, area up in the UP of Michigan with some folks doing some scouting during the day. And I saw a very tall, uh, dark brown uh, type of creature. I'll just leave, leave it for that. in the water across the uh, large expanse of water up against the wood line. And I, you know, it was far enough away uh hundreds and hundreds of yards and I, but i was able to pick it up pretty good in my binoculars and it was hard for me to figure out what it was i kept thinking moose but i could see the head and the shoulders and the torso sticking out of the water okay now, i don't i have not listed this in my list of 
that was a class I, a sighting. I've taken it with me. I kept scanning around looking for something. I take the binoculars away from it and try to find something else that gave me reference. And there were trees all in the background. And it moved. It kind of turned and moved. It went towards the woods. And I was looking side to side and it went behind a fallen tree that was down and went away. You know, I never saw antlers. I never saw a head sticking out of the water like a moose, uh, you know, off to the side. I never saw the back of it sticking. I saw something with, you know, a medium brown uh, appearance, a head and shoulders type of thing in the water, go behind a fallen tree and, and up into the woods. You know, so again, I've, I've scratched my head over that one for, I think, eight years ago I saw that. Um, you know, what, that may have been a Bigfoot. Am I here to say it was? No, I'm still going to be a skeptic and should always be a healthy skeptic. But you've got some things about your story that lean more towards, hmm, regardless that somebody wasn't there, it still sounds pretty pretty well like you've got proof. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely feel very confident that it was. I mean, ever since that day, I've been a full believer in Bigfoot. I've talked to some other people about um, their stories they talk about seeing one cross a road before yep. mm -hmm. um, you know so I've been full on they're out there and you know it being super stellar to see another one yeah well if you want to see another one you got to put yourself in a position to maybe see one or see there's never one by the way I said that earlier but they're always in groups but uh, you know put yourself in a position where maybe you can have another encounter and there's definite ways about doing that Hello, my wanderers. Before we get going with this episode of the podcast, I do just want to remind you guys to check out our other social medias, the YouTube, the Instagram, the Teespring to get that swag. Make sure to check us out individually. Zach Gray of Quartz Lake, Zach Gray, the Rougarou. Make sure you check out myself, Reverend Marcus, all that fun stuff. The links are below in the bio. Um, all you got to do is click that bio, look for it, and boom, you're on your way. Make sure if you guys want to be part of the podcast or questions to be heard on the podcast, email us at wanderingwayspodcast at gmail.com or quartzlakeproductions at gmail.com. We love the feedback. We love the input. All of it is amazing. And we love you guys for listening. It's awesome. So let's keep wandering on. Yeah. And then um, I'm, I'm curious too on some of the, you talked about like Florida having that first conference as well as other, um, what other big Bigfoot conferences are there? Um, that would be something too. Sure. I mean, I'm personally actually interested in, so. <laughs> Um, probably the one that's been around the longest, I think it's 25, 26 years, uh, maybe longer now, is the Ohio Bigfoot Conference. And that takes place, right, last few years they've been holding it in uh, Salt Forks State Park, which is in southeast Ohio. So, you know, that's a, that's a great one to go to. Uh, a lot of people go to that. Um, you know, they'll have, uh, you know, some of the best speakers at it. You know, I've had everybody from, you know, Bob Gimlin. From the Patterson Gimlin film, you know, to uh, uh, you know, some of the people from Finding Bigfoot, Cliff Barrickman, uh, Je Dr. Jeff Meldrum from uh, Idaho State, you know, they, they bring in some very good speakers for that. And uh, it's very, very well known. That's probably the best one or premier one out there. Um, a guy named Mark DeWorth runs that. Um, he's in Ohio and he does a great job with it. Uh, the one in Florida is new, as I said, there's one in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, it's got a couple of years under its belt. They had three of them in the past two years. And uh, that one is in July, typically. And that one's wonderful. A lot of people at that big, uh, you know, great place that they have in the convention center downtown. And, you know, big, big room audiences. Um, you know, they'll typically have four or 500 people in the audience uh, listen to a speaker. So, uh, you know, big. I've spoken at that. I spoke at one last year, parts of that. Um, I was one of the guests witnesses at the uh, over to lunch but they do a nice job a lot of vendors at that too so those are two very very good ones um there's one in marion north carolina that keeps getting bigger they do it out in the street and have speakers inside over a weekend and you know i think i could be off but uh, the guy that runs that I, I think he has tens of thousands of people at that that's how big it is outside a lot of vendors so those are three of the more notable ones um you know i'd like to see there's one in um Eastern part of Oklahoma every year, Hanobia Festival. Uh, 
And with COVID, that was uh, called off this year. I, I'll be at it next year. Looking forward to that. And the Pacific Northwest, I know there's a few that they run, a few different ones that you see. Uh, I have not attended the ones in the P, uh, PNW yet. So just so our uh, listeners can get that, what were the three really notable ones for Bigfoot conferences again? Yeah, I think Ohio Bigfoot Conference, uh, which is usually beginning of April, I think, or May. Uh, I have to take a look and see when. I, they're still working on details. But if you look up Ohio Bigfoot Conference, uh, that's used, that's in the spring every year. And it's uh, southeast Ohio at Salt Fork State Park, typically. That's a good one. Uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, that's in July, uh, last couple of years. And that's gotten very, very big. Uh, a lot of speakers, so all-day Saturday type events. Sometimes we'll have a you know, preview event on Friday night and a few other things. But that, that's gotten a lot of momentum. That's a real good one. Um, uh, I mentioned Honobia, which is in uh, southeastern Oklahoma. You know, that's a good one. And uh, um, I, I mentioned one in uh, Marion, North Carolina. That keeps getting bigger and bigger. So that's a, that's a real good one, too. Um, and that's western North Carolina Bigfoot. That keeps... That's a that's very big, uh, big outdoor type festival. So a lot of vendors, speakers inside that sort of thing. I think uh, we've, that was supposed to be in September this year. It's been in September the two years prior in 18 and 19. Uh, and I was going to speak at it this year, um, but with COVID that got canceled. So I'll probably be at that next year's week. Nice. Cool. So I kind of want to pivot back to uh, your Bigfoot research. And I want to talk about like, your expeditions. So one, like, why do you guys pick a certain spot to go and start looking? And then from there, maybe just the details of what a typical expedition would look like. Sure. No, that's great. I appreciate that, Mark. I'll, t I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, well, the BFRO, so the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, um, if you go to their website, uh, and you, you can just you know, go on and Google BFRO, you'll get it. Um, but if you go to their website, uh, that will list on it different expeditions um, that are coming up. Now, those are run by select investigators in the country um, who you know, put the detail together as to where to have one of these. Uh, and, and you'll see them in different places around the country. Uh, Northeast has some, South, Southeast. Uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, Montana, I think there was one this past year too. Um, but those, in, you know, Northern California up in the, you know, Oregon, Washington, you'll see them. Um, but, you know, th these things are where the woods are, is a fair, fair way to go after this. Um, but what the benefit we have with the BFRO is we get years and years of witness reports in the database. Uh, so, you know, we get a lot of witness reports and you get investigators like myself that We'll vet these out and go on out and meet with witnesses. And uh, sometimes you get, you know, you get reports that are false and you get hoaxes and you get things that are misinterpretations, but you get real ones too. And we've been documenting them for, I'm probably wrong with the number, but I think, it, you know, 25 years, 20 years. And so there's a huge database of these things. So if we take the clusters of sightings and we look at where they are, we can pinpoint some areas that are possible you know, good areas for uh, an expedition. I've got one actually coming up in the middle of April next year, and it's uh, just getting announced. Um, and it's in the mountains upstate South Carolina. And South Carolina, I don't know if they've ever had an expedition. It may have years and years ago, but um, this is, this is a, it's new for there. Now, I've got a lot of scouting in, so I could speak firsthand as to what uh, we did with that. But we, you know, triangulated um, areas where there were sightings in the upstate area of South Carolina. And then, uh, you know, we've gone from there. That's what you typically do with any of these. And then you got to get out and do scouting during the day, get out and walk trails, get into wildlife management areas, uh, state forest, national forest areas, access points um, you know, that you can get into the woods and areas around uh, where witnesses have seen, you know, or, or reported these things that were valid. Um, from that, uh, you know, how do you select where to go and what to do? Well, you know, Sasquatch is, you know, they're very patient observers. Um, and I like to think they're creatures of habit too, and they're in social groups. Uh, so you want to go in and look for areas, uh, you know, that have trails or access areas that number one has water, number two has a variety of food sources, because believe very much these things are omnivores. 
uh, meaning they're going to eat, you know, what's available. They're opportunistic eaters. Um, you know, they're going to eat anything from uh, nuts and berries, uh, harvest corn to mollusks, amphibians, uh, internal organs, parts of deer in the winter, that sort of thing. They're going to eat what's available to them. And uh, so you go to where water is and where there's food sources. Look for game trails. You look for uh, areas that uh, forest land that's, you know, edges around uh, uh, swampland and crops, that sort of thing, cropland. And um, you look for access into areas where, you know, you can walk trails during the day or at night, um, get, get into those areas. And then, you know, I like to think, you know, best, some of the best way to approach is get to a spot where you can be observed. Um, walk a trail at night, like the story I related to you, they were able to follow us and walk and they followed us as we went back, you know, along a trail into an area where I think they were accessing the lake at night down through the mountain laurel and they just didn't want us back in there. But, you know, you get to an area where um, you can go in and walk and then you got to drop all the, you know, act like a hunter behavior because that doesn't work at all. You know, um, they're used to seeing hikers during the day and they're used to seeing hunters during hunting season and they all act in the same type of ways. So we try to drop that and we try to get into an area and, you know, if there's nothing, you know, they're very curious, uh, you know, they're going to watch, observe. And if they see half a dozen people uh, walking and singing or talking and laughing, uh, maybe colored lights, uh, maybe get to a point where they sit in a circle on some small chairs, uh, play some Native American music, uh, laugh and talk. Uh, and it's two in the morning. You know, these things are curious and they come around. So you got to put yourself in a position where they can watch you or walk parallel to you or from above, but in a position in an area where, you know, there have been sightings and you're near a food source or a sustenance source like water. Um, you know, personally, I've done enough of this. I know that, you know, waterfalls, springs, uh, they're around those things. Uh, we, you know, we, we're in an area. I was just on an expedition in the western part of Kentucky. I can't tell you the exact uh, location because we do NDAs and things, but, uh, I was at one about three weeks ago and, you know, we got out the top all maps and we looked where we were in an area where there were sightings. Yeah. Uh, we even had one of the witnesses with us, but, um, you know, we looked right where the Springs were and we got in there at night and sure enough, they had activity. <laughs> so, you know, there are ways of getting to that, but, uh, they're very curious. They're going to come around and can't figure out what you're doing there, especially if you're relaxed. So it sounds like they're very uh, nocturnal um, with that. And when you, I, I heard you make the comment earlier about the not seeing the whites of the eye. Is that part of this nocturnalness um, behavior that we're seeing? It's very, very good questions. I appreciate that. Um, so uh, I think they're very, so, you know, I, I, I'm not an expert on uh, biology or anatomy and I won't try to, <laughs> I, you know, I've got a book underway. It'll be out one of these days uh, you know, on some of this. But one of the things I talk about is they have abilities we don't have. You know, I think they have the abilities we have. Still trying to figure out the ones we have that they don't have. They cool. follow the plan of reasoning. But they can, they can see in the dark a heck of a lot better than we can. Uh, I do not think they're nocturnal only. Um, I've had activity around them. I had a research area in central Wisconsin. I'd go into off some horse trails every week and you know they they knew i was there they'd knock when i got to the trail i went back in the woods they'd knock i if they'd throw things at me you know they'd growl at me i'd leave apples for them they'd knock back i mean they're active and watch and do things during the day too and i could go on and on about research areas all day too and what's the best way to approach that but i think they can see you at night very very well um and there's a whole line of talk about why that is but yeah, I will tell you from my sightings and other witness sightings I've explored, a white area around the eye is not something that gets observed. Uh, you know, if the pupil is the full size of the eye cavity, um, or, you know, it, maybe it's different during the day. I can't vouch for that. I've not seen one face-to-face -face during the day. But at night, and witnesses consistently will tell me, those that have seen them during the day, or those that see them at dusk, or that, you know, it's dark, the eye is dark, and it's all dark around there. Um, Maybe that helps them at night to your point or to your question. I don't know, but you know, my sightings it's when you see the eyes, the eye cavity, that whole area is dark. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I kind of, cause you've mentioned it a couple of times uh, today that you have some books out or you're, you're working on a book. 
Um, I, I want to give you a chance to talk about that. Well, I've got a, yeah, I've got a, a stacks of stuff on the floor here and a lot of dictation, a lot of stuff I'm going through, uh, you know, one of my own, which is really going to focus on experiences and debrief, you know, what do we learn from it and where can we go from that? And a lot of books that are out there, you know, seem to go over the same analysis of the Patterson-Gimlin film, uh, historical uh, references to stories on these things historically, uh, you're going over the same ones, trying to prove whether it's an ape or a man or derivative or relic hominid, you know, it gets into a lot of what constitutes proof, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my approach is really to you know, relate from experiences and what we learned and then the consistencies observed from those experiences and, you know, the debrief and the behaviors you see that these things exhibit that are consistent. I think we could learn from that. I'm not going to get all stuck in the evidence versus proof and uh, theories like, you know, where they dropped out of spaceships by aliens or not. All, you know, I, I'm going to skip all that. But I, you know, I'm to the point with this. I know it's not, this isn't just a, an ape walking around the woods. And, you know, there are, these things exist in a lot of continents, a lot of places around the world. Uh, the descriptions are similar to, to for the most part. Um, I think it's beyond just a, an ape type creature. Um, you know, whether you believe in the DNA studies or not, you know, I think it's, you know, the DNA is mostly human. So, um, and there's some identified portions of it. So, you know, I want to avoid some of that in the approach I'm taking and just, you know, get some of that on the table and move from there and say, you know, here are some of the things we've observed, you know, like the discussion we had about the zapping before. There's not a lot of in-depth discussion about that. It's in books. Uh, you know, I like to talk a little bit more about that not say here, this is what it is and prove definitively what's causing it or why, but to say it happens when people are around these things and this is what it's like, um, yeah. some aspects of it. So I have that going. I also have a, um, a book, it's a field guide on stick structures that I've done and uh, it's available. If you go to I Know Squatch, you can get it on our uh, Etsy site. Uh, I think we sell it for like $6, but I'm in the third print on that. And I, you know, I put it together uh, so people actually didn't have it with me. Otherwise, I would I'd show it to you. But uh, um, it, I put it together so people could take it out in their backpack when they're in the woods. And you know, big Bigfoots will build these stick structures. They'll bend trees over in arches and loops and uh, in an area that they're resident. And there's some consistencies to those things. Um, a lot of the you'll see an, you know, the X's and people interpret that as you know, stay away, get out. There's the asterisk type, um, but I speak about this. I'm in a third printing on that book, and I sell out at a lot of conferences and things. But uh, people are interested and want to, you know, pick up one of those. It's a great reference to take out in the woods. I got a email this past week from somebody uh, purchased one of those from me at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference three years ago, and they were thankful for it. And they were telling me some of the things they'd seen and had some questions about stuff they saw. But uh, my uh, my email is in the back of that. R R R Whoop W H O O P at gmail.com and people send me pictures of things they see in the woods all the time and ask for interpretation but i had someone in north georgia sent me about 20 of them just last week and i looked at too so it's very helpful for me i got literally thousands of pictures of these things and i'm always curious as to why they build them but there are consistencies in the way they build them uh you know i've seen the same appearances the same type of structures and florida as i've seen in uh you know british columbia and that's you know, that's what these things I don't know why they do that. Um, I think there's some crossover to Native American signs and symbols, um, but they do it consistently and you'll see that. And that's fascinating too. And I've, so I've done a, a field guide on that and uh, that's in the third printing too. So, um, but you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time in research on this. I need to put a little more discipline into my own recording and telling the stories and things that I've learned. Can you talk about like, so, if I were to just walk out, because um, I lived in Humboldt, California for a while, for like the past three years, and we'd go on the beach and we'd see stick structures, but you know, it's Humboldt, so, you know, the hippies there, they build <laughs> everything. So I want to know, like, if there's anything that makes it distinctively maybe more Bigfoot than like your classic hippie building structures. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, sometimes you get Boy Scout groups out in the woods and as an exercise, they'll build, you know, lean-tos and hutches and those types of things. You'll get a, 
you know, a hunter will build a blind sometimes out in the woods or turkey hunters, things like that, you know, deer. Um, so you have to work your way through all of that. Um, but you know, some, some of the best things I would say, so one, one good one is an arch. So they'll take and they'll bend, you know, these things over into an arch. It'll look like a St. Louis arch. Kind of. They'll take a sapling, bend it over. And what distinguishes it as Bigfoot originated is they'll strip all the, this, a lot of times the bark, but they'll strip all the side branches off, leaves off of it. They'll, the pointed end of it, so this thin end, here's the root end, the other end, they'll stick that in the ground. So uh, often you'll find that stuck down in the ground, you know, half a foot, foot, uh, or they'll put a log or a stone over it on the other end to hold it down. Now, the tree's not gonna grow out of the ground and then tip its head all the way down to the ground, shed all of its leaves, its uh, side branches, and then, you know, sneak its nose down into the ground like an ostrich. You know, that's, yeah. that's, not, that's not how a sapling grows. They grow and they, you know, they will bend over towards water. They'll bend over, gravity will force them to bend over and they'll lean towards the sun. But you can, you know, when you start through all that and you see a group of these things one after another, sometimes you see them in a row and Bigfoot's do them sort of, I always say like croquet map, wickets, you know, they'll put them in a row, you know, you know 50 yards apart, uh, leading down towards a swamp or along a game trail. Uh, so there is some meaning to how they do it, but you see consistency in the way they engineer these things, which is another point I'd make in this. It's not, you know, nature does things quite often in a lot of random patterns. Stick structures, when you see these things, they're put together deliberately. And uh, I've, seen, I've seen them go up in an area of Bigfoot's a resident seasonally, and they come down at the end of the year, they'll tear them all down. So um, it's fascinating when they do this. Um, and there are a variety, I think I've got seven of them listed in seven varieties uh, of them. There's a book full of uh, descriptions of these things, sketches of them by Christopher Noel, he's a friend of mine. I've done some squatching with him. He's written a number of books and he's got, I think, 50 or 51 different types of sketches of them. Oh, wow. So it is an underserved area of Bigfoot research, um, but it's something they do consistently regardless of geography. Interesting. Um, well, it's getting to that time and I got to be that guy where uh, getting to the end of the interview here. Uh, so we're going to get into our final words. Uh, this is literally time. If you got anything coming up, you want to plug anything, you have any kind of cool PSA, uh, just let the people know, you know, since you're our guest, we're going to let you go first with the final words today. All right. I, well, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, very much. I Mark. It's very, it's been nice talking with both of you guys and, um, sharing you know uh it sounds to me like what you saw may in fact have been a bigfoot it's you know i'll have to chew on what you, how you describe that but your descriptions especially the scale of what you saw um with the equipment there is pretty darn convincing uh i know squatch that's who we are i know squatch uh, so we are available our merchandise is available on uh, on etsy you can see we're on twitter facebook instagram merchandise is on etsy great stuff for the holidays and we've got a Hats and T-shirts, all sorts of things, and stickers of almost—I I think we're working on almost every state. So uh, we have uh, our all of our uh, artwork is original. We come up with our own, it's trademarked, and uh, we've got it showing—you know—showing uh, what we call a peeper, which is our uh, the peeper looking around a tree, which is the most common witness description as a bigfoot looking around a tree. Uh, we've got that out there, our uh, showing through the silhouette of every state. So there's great stickers on there and other things. Take a look. Awesome. That's sweet. Zach, final words. You know, I think Rick said it best today, you know, find your Bigfoot, go find the spot out in the forest. That's where they're living. Go to the trees. Um, that's what I try and do every weekend is find myself in the trees. So head to the trees, everybody. <laughs> awesome. Reverend's final words. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today, Rick. It was an absolute pleasure to talk and hear your stories. Um, you know, this is a side of Bigfoot and Bigfoot searching that I never really knew about until today. Um, it's such a cool thing. Um, you know, I'm hoping maybe one of these times I can get out to a com conference, convention, you know, and see you speak. That would be totally awesome. Um, we'll be putting a link to the I Know Squatch apparel and the social medias in the bio for the website. Um, you know, so if you're out there listening, check them out. Stay beautiful, everyone. Um, with that being said, just 
Peace out. Peace out. Thanks for having me.